Hey there. Hello. <laughs> we joke about this every time we record, but the listeners, I don't think, know about this joke yet. And <laughs> it's that Grady's profile picture for Zoom is his cat, so it always looks like I'm talking to his cat when we record. <laughs> <laughs> he's, you know, he's a good anarcho-communist, or at least anarcho-syndicalist, you know? He's an IWW cat, because he's black. He's a good listener. He is. He mostly is listening so that you'll pay attention to him and pet him. But that's yeah, fine. that's okay. <laughs> Whatever Sometimes. gets you there. Exactly. Sometimes that's all you need. <laughs> all right. So today we're going to jump right into part two of our series on socialist Yugoslavia. Hell yeah. Okay. Last time on Yugoslavia. Um, fuck. I probably should summarize, huh? <laughs> uh yeah we could <laughs> that's um probably a good idea okay so last time there was a kingdom and they were like trying to unite all the different ethnic groups there uh, but then like the nazis showed up and like a bunch of different groups were fighting them but like the socialist one basically led by tito the partisans i remember that name oh yeah uh tito mm-hmm. you were correct on the pronunciation of him his first name is yosef Ah, like like with a P. Yeah, but like with a starting with a Y, I was saying Joseph like an idiot. So oh. sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I just guessed. <laughs> I don't know why I jumped to that conclusion, but I did. Well, it was stupid on my part because like Yugoslavia starts with a J. Oh. In their spelling of it, and so it throws off all the acronyms, and so I try not to use any of the acronyms <laughs> because of that because they don't make sense to us. But oh, I didn't know it that. It should have occurred to me. Like, oh well, that should have. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we know. Yosip. All right. So yep. Tito of the Partisans kick out the Nazis, but then they start trying to like rebuild and it's going pretty well. But then like they're trying to make treaties with other nearby areas like Albania and Bulgaria. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I think it's a B one. And then the USSR is mad. They're like, ugh, we were going to do that. You're stepping on our toes. So they send bitchy letters back and forth. And that's where we are now. Uh, yeah, that's just about it. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly surprised because I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I got a Swiss cheese brain up there these days. <laughs> I think just... everyone does. COVID or no, we all have some brain fog. <laughs> Absolutely. Just by virtue of surviving as far as we have in this you know hellscape (laughs) it's truly like a trauma response of like here just here's what you need to know to survive throw everything else out (laughs) yeah that was a pretty good recap if you want a more in detail one uh and you've got a spare hour and a half go listen to our part one episode yeah spoilies for yugoslavia (laughs) so go listen to part one if you want to get the full story (laughs) (laughs) yeah we are um rife with historical spoilers if those are a thing (laughs) i think so before we get going i wanted to bring up a listener email we got oh okay all right this is from jim and they listened to our episode last week and they were reading the jakarta method and in it they were like coding a letter and they attached a picture of this footnote and i just want to read you the quote (laughs) Oh, okay. I've heard about this. Yes, read it. It's great. It's fantastic. Tito wrote to Stalin, quote, Stalin, stop sending assassins to murder me. We've already caught five, one with a bomb, another with a rifle. 
What? <laughs> End quote. Oh my God. Just like, can you stop? Come on. Do you have the rest of that? No, I just have that line. Okay, it's um, it's pretty good. If you don't stop sending killers, I'll send a very fast working one to Moscow, and I certainly won't have to send another. <laughs> Damn, he's like, I'm going to get someone who can actually do the job, not like your chumps. Yeah, now the downside to this is that apparently uh, the historian who it's sourced from, like, claimed to have heard it from a person who claimed to have seen it on Stalin's desk. So it's a little bit secondhand or whatever, but it is funny. Some hot goss. Yeah, it's it's funny (laughs) enough to where I like it. Like, it may as well be true. That's kind of funny. It's the sentiment, (laughs) if anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Stalin, stop trying to kill me. Oh, my God. You're so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jim, for that email. That was great. All right, uh, so just to kind of get us back into the groove here, remember, we're just going to be covering the basics. Uh, we are not trying to cover absolutely everything. That'll especially become apparent when we get to the end of this thing, because <laughs> okay. it's way too complicated. So we are picking up kind of where we left off in terms of right after the Tito-Stalin split. Yeah, the most important result of that is that the Soviet Union ends up kind of cutting off Yugoslavia, uh, starting a blockade of them through the other, the Eastern European socialist republics there and basically punishing them, you know, for going rogue gradually goes into effect. This it's essentially kind of a blockade. So by 1949, they are like cut off from the rest of the Soviet aligned countries of the world. And that greatly changes their material conditions, right? This young socialist state, they have to really set out to change what they were doing, both internationally and domestically. Yeah, because they were trying to, like, provide for all their people and do, like, healthcare and education and all the stuff. And, like, that requires resources. And if, like, all your trading partners say goodbye, then that's not going to work. Yeah. And the Soviet Union, that was their main trading partner. They were super closely allied. They were following like a planned economy, you know, rebuilding from the ashes of war. And it's a huge task because like even, you know, we're saying, okay, well, they're rebuilding from the war. But even from before the war, the countryside had been impoverished for centuries. Uh, There was a lot of catching up to do that the new socialist government did start changing and then continues to so like it makes huge progress we'll talk about it as as we go forward and everything but that's something to keep in mind is it may not be quite as bad as like czarist russia but it was like in that vein you know it was really bad yeah i was gonna ask like are we working with like a surf situation so maybe not quite serfs no but you still have like a, a peasantry and everything yes yeah okay so, yeah, they're they're making huge changes in terms of gender equality, free education. The one big thing that they were doing in those early years that I didn't mention last episode, but you, you had the party's youth wing, the League of Communist Youth of Yugoslavia. Hell yeah. Uh, and they started something called Youth Work Actions, uh, which were these um, voluntary, you know, youth work brigades, like the Youth and Beauty Brigades, I guess. Um <laughs> I listened to that song the other day. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, these guys went around and 
helped uh, to build roads and railways and public buildings and industrial infrastructure, like all across the country. It's like some extremely useful Boy Scouts. Yeah. And <laughs> if you kind of look into it, it's they were more like helping, like emphasis on the help. Because, like, you know, they did really have construction workers to do the big They weren't setting 10-year-olds to do like railroads. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But it was, you know, it was still like important in terms of building community you know, amongst them and kind of building community as a whole across the country, right? Binding everyone together in that way. Um, this had initially started during World War II in like liberated areas, but after the war, they started organizing these at the local, at the Republic and at the federal levels. Think about this. The country before the war had just 46 miles of paved road. Jesus. And you know, Eco-socialism and everything, very important, um, but also developing your country from that 46 state, miles. <laughs> from 46 miles of road, building thousands of miles. They were really doing a lot. And I guess, I don't know, I don't know if I did enough last time to kind of emphasize Yugoslavia's like accomplishments in that realm to kind of make clear, because we're going to get into some criticisms and stuff. <laughs> okay. And certainly, of course, the right wing will always do that. Uh, but even communists will will get into that as well. We're doing that, I think, with good intentions, and I want us to do it with like an appreciation of what they had done. Yeah, I think that's that's only fair. Gotta take the good with the bad. With the Soviet Union going from indispensable ally to quite an antagonist, <laughs> uh, Yugoslavia had lost its most important trading partner. It was still trying to develop into a self-sufficient country, so they had to try to fix that. Like you mentioned, they were doing this uh, before the split by trying to build alliances, but all of that was kind of put into jeopardy. You know, they had done with Albania and Bulgaria and everything, and they had even talked about kind of a wider Balkans federation. Oh, okay. And then maybe, uh, you know, after that, who knows? Uh, they hadn't talked about it, but, you know, like you were saying, they could start kind of uniting past that into Eastern Europe and... and if they're on board and doing it as equals, like, why not like the Soviets? And then, you know, and then the People's Republic of China once they're around. And yeah, fuck yeah. Global communism. Global communism. <laughs> it could have been pretty cool, it sounds like, you know. Ugh. But the split kind of nixes all this. The rest of Eastern Europe and Albania and Bulgaria, they follow the Soviet Union and they conduct purges of suspected Titoites. So Yugoslavia has to find a new sponsor, a new trading partner to help them build up their economic base. Who do they turn to? Listeners, if you somehow guessed that... Is it China? It's not China. Okay. (laughs) But if you somehow guessed that this would be the United States... No! You would be right. No! Yeah, this is uh, pretty wild, but let's talk about how it works. Uh, Basically, this was kind of an enemy of my enemy situation. But for Yugoslavia, I think it was more of a desperation um, play. <laughs> uh, but immediately after the split, Yugoslavia requests U.S. assistance, which the U.S. provided in exchange for them cutting off support for those Greek communists. So instead of like a, a spite play, like we kind of mentioned before, I think it's more of a, well, we had to do this to get mm-hmm. the aid from the U.S. So that, that kind of better explains it to me. Uh, so, yeah, the United States starts helping this socialist country out. Okay, I don't think that's going to end well. I'm just going to take a guess. Well, there's no Yugoslavia, so... <laughs> yeah, that that's the definition of not ending well. You don't <laughs> exist anymore. 
Yeah, the U.S. is a fine friend to have. Mm-hmm. So they start by sponsoring them getting a seat um, on the U.N. Security Council. Like the U.S. is like, oh, yeah, I'll back them up. You know, uh, They also sell them industrial equipment and give them millions of dollars of uh, food aid and grants and loans. The IMF and the World Bank also give them loans to repay uh, pre-war debts and things. I was literally going to ask about the World Bank. I'm like, are they going to shove their ugly faces in here? Yeah. Sure yeah. enough. <laughs> yep. The World Bank gets involved from early on. If you're already worried about what sorts of things that can cause. <laughs> yeah. What are the terms and conditions of these loans? At the time, like any good introductory rate, no <laughs> bad conditions right now. Yeah. It's, it's a fine. deal. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get you later. But it's so it starts from real early on all this. Um, The U.S. even gives Yugoslavia some NATO military equipment Mm. under the Mutual Defense Assistance Act. And listeners, if that sounds familiar, that was the same law that let the U.S. bankroll France's brutal occupation of Vietnam. Oh, okay, Don't love that one. Yeah. So that was because Yugoslavia suspected that and the U.S. suspected that the Soviet Union was going to invade them. We don't find any proof of that. Like you have a Hungarian defector later who says that, yeah, there were plans of that, but we don't find it in the archive. So we're not like, don't know if that one was actually happening, but they were worried about it. So they gave like military stuff to Yugoslavia. Interesting. So yeah, kind of a strange early chapter, but this was a cold war. The U S I don't think they're doing this to be nice. I think they smell the blood. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> the architect of of this or or kind of like who was tell who was convincing the president to do this was secretary of state dean atchison i don't know that name i'm sure he sucks he was president truman's secretary <laughs> of state he's the guy that came up with Tru- that the truman doctrine which was where they were like uh will america will support any anti-communist regimes around the world cool doctrine uh yeah so basically <laughs> they're it. seeing this uh, <laughs> Yeah, basically, they're seeing this like firmly through that Cold War lens, right? So it's the U.S. versus the USSR. Yugoslavia is we're going to try to get them turned to the dark side and that will help us. Even if they're a weird socialist thing, whatever, it hurts our enemy. So who cares? Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I'm like, they had to be aware that like they are also socialist, but they're like, well, you're a smaller socialist. So whatever. Right. We think we can keep our, you know, our grip on you. So or at least. Even if you're doing some stuff or whatever, you're not going to be a threat. I think that's their perspective. In Yugoslavia, of course, they were just like, we need help. We need stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Yugoslavia definitely didn't want this to lead them to becoming an American client state. Okay? Mm-hmm. They needed the help, but like they, they have no interest in becoming slaves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they end up teaming with lots of countries around the world. Uh, many of them former colonized countries um, who kind of had similar goals, avoid domination by the American imperialists. That's a good goal. While charting a course that was um, that was to some degree independent of the Soviet Union. Okay. The, the first part of that for sure is a good goal. The second part of it, I understand why, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And especially in the context of the times, there was a lot of... of a lot of um, bullying of choosing sides. Yeah. And people were concerned and different communists come down to different parts of this. And especially if you're more anarchist and stripe, you know, concerned about Stalin's rule there and everything. Yeah. Yeah. 
but this is eventually going to be called the non-aligned movement. Uh, it's something that's still technically around today, but it's like a lot less relevant. It doesn't do as much now. But back then, it was this group of countries that was not going to uh, join the Western Alliance or the Eastern Alliance. You know, So either the United States or the Soviet Union's kind of power blocks. They operated on the five principles of peaceful coexistence. Chill, smoke weed, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, take lots of naps. They're kind of chill. Let's see. Mutual respect for each other's territorial integrity and sovereignty. Mutual non-aggression. Mutual non-interference in domestic affairs. Sure. Sounds like the same, but... Well, like, don't fight, but then also don't um, try to tell me what to do. Okay. You're not my dad. I was going to say that, too. Jesus. (laughs) We are related. (laughs) Uh, Equality and mutual benefit and peaceful coexistence, which that one's repetitive. but (laughs) Yeah, they really were like, for real, guys? (laughs) We need five. (laughs) (laughs) Four is not as catchy. Yeah. So note that none of these say you have to be doing socialism because this wasn't a socialist organization. It doesn't also say you have to do capitalism either. True. Yeah. You could run your country however. And most of the members were not like a socialist one party states or like liberal democracies that were governed by socialist parties. Like most of them were just kind of run on the mill countries, you know, some were, you know, you obviously had Yugoslavia. You also had Cuba in this. Mm, Okay. Uh, You had India, who was doing some kind of like social democratic policies, but, you know, otherwise a liberal democracy. And the United Arab Republic, which was, it's not around anymore, but it was a union of like Syria and Egypt. Oh, okay. And that was led by a guy named Nasser, who was very like socialistic in his policies. Really? Okay. You had kind of this mixture, but more than that, they were countries who, like we said, wanted to make sure they didn't get run over. And in a lot of their cases, you know, like re-enslaved by the West. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yugoslavia has a big hand in this. They host the first official conference of the non-aligned movement in Belgrade in 1961. And 25 countries participate and they have three countries like observing. um, And Yugoslavia will kind of stay a leading member of that power block until Yugoslavia ceased to exist. And oh, by the way, if you are wondering if the whole thing with the soviet union like if they ever patch that up they do eventually oh really okay i was not expecting that yeah um in 1953 and it's it kind of comes just in the nick of time because um yugoslavia signs what's called the balkan pact with greece and turkey it's this sort of like military alliance against a threat of soviet invasion the thing with that is that greece and turkey are in nato so this is like half joining it's like really close to joining nato which i don't know as a communist sounds pretty bad yeah i don't think i'm supposed to like nato but i also don't know anything about it so nato's like the military alliance led by the united states and north atlantic treaty organization so western europe so the capitalist western alliance i thought it was trade i think that's nafta i get those mixed up (laughs) No, no, yeah, this one's the, uh, the Capitalist uh, Military Alliance. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. As opposed to the Warsaw Pact, which was the... the Eastern. The Soviet-aligned okay, defense okay. pact. Okay, so they're cozying up to NATO pals, and then mm-hmm. USSR is like, no, 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 come here, baby. Well, USSR wasn't so much that as, like, Stalin died that same okay. year. That, that'll do it. Yeah, and so then Yugoslavia and the USSR start to make up, Khrushchev comes to power and 
so so they end up like not enemies of either one. The U.S. does reduce its aid to Yugoslavia, but they don't cut it all together because they fear that like that's going to make them completely go over to the Soviet Union. So they kind of get to have help from both sides at that point. Nice. Uh, yeah, sort of nice. <laughs> sort of. Sort of. Oh, does it put them in an awkward position? Uh, mostly it's just the economic results of that. Okay. Which we'll get into. I just wanted to know, I still picture Khrushchev as fucking, what's his name? Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. And I just Googled him and I'm like, he doesn't look anything like Steve Buscemi. So no. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep picturing him as Steve Buscemi because it, it brings me joy. And I think that's what matters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steve Buscemi can barely fill that suit. Like. Yeah, no, there's no way. Like you'd need two of him to make Khrushchev. Yeah. He's <laughs> a small man. Yeah. Uh, but okay. he played it so well. It was very funny. He did a great job. It's a plug for our Death of Stalin episode. Go listen to it. If it's a good you movie. miss that one, it's a funny one. Yeah. Caught in the middle, two dates to the prom. What's it going to do to <laughs> yeah. get out of this one? So this is going to help them kind of do what they want to do. But that's what we need to cover now. Like besides making friends in the world, what does Yugoslavia want to achieve? This is going to be the other huge consequential part of the split because the split allows the Communist Party of Yugoslavia to start openly criticizing the Soviet Union, which they proceed to do, and they do it from a Marxist perspective. Okay, uh, they, they have they, a breakup, they make a call-out post, they're ready. They're ready to move on. Exactly. Um, they say, and, and again, this is this is from a left perspective here. They're not saying like, oh, they're stealing from... People who earned, you know, hard yeah, earned, yeah, yeah. nothing like that. Uh, what they say is, hey, look, the USSR, man, they started out revolutionary. They had workers' councils. That's like where you get the word Soviets from. Uh, they had all this radical, proletarian democracy in the workplace. And nowadays that's done. It's replaced with this centralized, bureaucratized party apparatus. Ain't wrong. <laughs> Communists will debate you about that later. <laughs> so... There's, you know, room for argument, but that's, that was what they were saying. The, the, the Yugoslavians were saying that. Wait, will they debate me on whether or not that's accurate on whether or not that's a bad thing or both? <laughs> you, well, I mean, both in terms of different groups. So yeah, like some people will say, actually, no, there was you know, in terms of democratic centralism, like there was a lot of democracy, like you got to select people in the party from the bottom levels and then that worked its way up. Or you'll have people say... You know, this was a temporary thing to fix, like, you know, to, to build up the industrial base and then things would be decentralized and focus on consumer goods and things like that. But only once you'd built up that base. So there's different schools of it. Um, different opi opinions, different. <laughs> it's such a mild way to put it. <laughs> well, that, yeah. that should just be like the subtitle of like the communist Reddit. It's just opinions differ. <laughs> <laughs> It's good not, luck in there. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's a great resource for me, but I, it's oh, yeah, also I keep the salt handy when I go in. <laughs> uh, shout out to you guys if you are posters there and listeners to this. Hello, yeah, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> I thought you meant salt as in this is very Mexican, but I thought you meant salt as in like throw it over your shoulder for the oh. devil. <laughs> no, I meant like grains of salt. I know. I figured it out afterwards. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, oh, I that's weird. I don't think anyone's doing any demonic shit <laughs> any in there. Cursed but, shit. Yeah. 
So anyway, Yugoslavia does their call out, right? But then they're saying, okay, well, what are we going to do? We're going to create a society based on the free association of the producing class, the workers. That sounds good. And this is going to lead to the withering away of the state. Marx, right? Yeah, very Marx. I love it. Again, this approach is very controversial on the left. So keep that in mind is uh, this is their interpretation of how they're going to do Marxism the right way. Wait, how do you possibly fuck this up? I, I totally agree with that sentiment. What they're like, well, first we got to kill all the babies. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, no, it's, it's nothing so it's nothing so dramatic, but we'll just see how it works out. Step one. What they do in May 1949, they start decentralizing things. Okay. Part of that withering away the state that they're talking about. Uh, they're going to give greater autonomy to local governments and to the republics of Yugoslavia. So this is going to hopefully help do more bottom up organizing in the party right hey um, does it and does it lead to like just ethnic tensions instead very long term yes okay very long term <laughs> uh, good good foresight there yeah okay <laughs> in june 1950 they passed legislation introducing something called socialist self-management mm, that sounds like a self-help course <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you can do this the revolution is within you clear your mind <laughs> So in this system, what this means is that larger enterprises, as long, so as long as you're not like doing some sort of business like yourself or yourself and just your family, if you are hiring people, you would have workers councils of 15 to 120 elected representatives uh, who would serve one year terms with the maximum of two terms. These councils would control production they would uh, control profits too. So they would share profits among the workers within a competitive market. Now, competitive only in certain things, of course. Um, there are full social services provided to everyone, like we said. So this is not stupid stuff to privatize, like Housing. education. And ha- yeah, like <laughs> that, was, that was not a, you know, a thing. But the consumer market was more or less just competitive and you had different firms doing things. Um, it was just that those firms were controlled by these workers' councils. So you're kind of, you're liberalizing the economy from that centrally planned one to this one. There's also state-owned enterprises still, right? So there, there's, it's kind of a mix, a mixed economy. So state-owned is in like, you know, medicine, like healthcare still, states running that totally. Yes. Yeah. Housing, like all your basics. And then... Okay, can you give me an example? Like, all right, books. Like, we we run the book business, and this is our workers' council. Like, well, yeah. So you could have several different publishing companies, um, and and they would, you know, uh, each one uh, one has a hundred employees or whatever. They have like you know twenty people on their workers' council, and those people would be the ones like running the company. So you don't have like a boss so much as you vote on your bosses to be in this workers' council. That's you might have good. managers and stuff that they, you know, that the workers council says, okay, well, we're going to have this guy be, you know, these few people be the managers or whatever, but all that's like controlled by the workers. If you have an asshole boss, you can vote him out basically. Yeah. So you can get rid of bad bosses. You can kind of control your pay a little more, you know, no one's going to be probably treated super badly. Cause like you would, you would bring that up. Like you're not working crazy hours probably. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Yeah. That's. In a nutshell, the uh, idea behind socialist self-management, what they were doing. Politically, they also made some changes. The Communist Party of Yugoslavia decentralizes as well. 
at the Sixth Party Congress in 1952. They change their name. They do a little bit of a rebrand to seem more (laughs) inclusive. They change their name to the League of Communists of Yugoslavia. That sounds cool as hell. (laughs) It it does. Yeah, it does sound cool. (laughs) That's great. That would be a great satin jacket. But it's kind of like, I don't know, I was thinking about the rebranding term there, and it kind of makes sense, right? You go from the Communist Party to the League of Communists. Like there's different types of communists even, you know, like we're all allied together but we're not one thing yeah it's like a like a confederacy sort of thing like a not in the racist sense american (laughs) listeners i'm just referring to the literal term yeah of you know a group of disparate people coming together or disparate groups coming together yeah yeah more importantly than that than the rebrand um they separate the party from the state so before that it used to be like whoever was the, let's say, the Treasury Secretary for the Communist Party would just be the Treasury Secretary for the country. All right, but now, like, that wasn't the case anymore. So you actually, like, you know, the people that were selected by, you know, the populace as a whole to, to run the government, they would actually appoint people to be in those places, regardless of what position in the party they had. Okay, so let me get this straight. Um... Could anyone run for these things? Or was it like you still had to be a party member or what? Uh, So you would still have to be a party member to run for stuff because the elections were essentially like it was still a one party thing till the very, very end. So you would still have to be in that position. But to to be working for the state or to like have any sort of government assignment or ministerial position or whatever you want to call it, you didn't have to be a party member. Like they could appoint somebody else and it wasn't just like, Oh, well I've been in this post for however long. Okay. Gotcha. So the, uh, from what I could tell it is kind of like opened it up more. Yeah. Yeah. Like you didn't have to be high up in the party necessarily. You could just be anybody. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Ultimately, I don't think it was like a super open the door, let it, let anybody do it sort of thing, but it was a step in that direction. So this was a lot, and it does lead to a lot of economic improvements. Um, For the period of 1960 to 1980, uh, Yugoslavia had annual GDP growth averaged around 6.1%. That's good, right? I I have no concept. That's a good, that's that's good. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, You had lots more um, private companies, meaning... That's not necessarily good, but you yeah, have, doesn't sound uh, good. but that leads to more government revenue, which is lots more money to spend on social services. That part's good. Okay. <laughs> they, and they do, they, like we mentioned before, they end up with a 91% literacy rate, a life expectancy of 72 years old. They're able to provide people with a decent standard of living for everyone, provide free medical care, free education, free or low cost housing. So most I, I saw sources that were saying free. Everybody got housing provided by their employer. Um, and some people saying, just saying like affordable or low cost, which anytime that's thrown in for me, I'm like, well, okay, somebody has to pay. Bono who, I don't, I don't really know the details on that, but even so that's better that's than you can say here. Still, Yeah, for real. The right to a job with one month paid vacation for everyone. Ugh. <laughs> I can't <We're>, imagine. <laughs> yeah. And we're all, everyone listening now is just imagining the... <laughs> it's like, what would I do well, with a whole month? <laughs> yeah. 
a year of maternity leave. Jesus. Affordable transportation and utilities. And they also had a more open society. I don't like to use that so much because it, it falls. It's kind of like follows that kind of anti-communist propaganda line. But they did have more cultural connections with the West. Um, they, you know, didn't have as many things banned or as many restrictions imposed on them from the West or anything. So they also had more free travel uh, from place to place. So does that like mean before this like shift, like when they were with the USSR, like their buddies, like it wasn't as free to travel? Uh, yeah, most um, of the social states like didn't have uh, didn't they had travel restrictions. Um, so you could not just leave leave whenever. Why not? Because because then you because then you can you can leave. Okay, I feel like I should be able to leave if I want to leave. They didn't think you should be able to do that. <laughs> okay. I I mean, like, I get it from, like, an economic standpoint of, like, yeah, if you're, like, trying to do all this stuff, you need a lot of people and workers and stuff. Like, I get it. But it just seems, seems sus, but okay. I do want to look into that more in the future. From what I understand, uh, countries in Eastern Europe, uh, the socialist countries there, and Yugoslavia before this kind of opening up and the Soviet Union uh, had travel restrictions that were pretty stringent. Like you couldn't leave unless kind of on official business or approved through a process and all this stuff. Um, And my understanding of that was, like you said, the economic standpoint, which I know you would probably counter with like, well, make your country better. And (laughs) they would probably counter with... um, Well, to do that, we have to have people. Well, yeah, we were trying and so this is for now but i also don't know if this is like received information that is overall faulty so if you check out just like the wikipedia page an emigration from the eastern Bloc, they say something about like oh you know ukraine and russia like they made theirs very hard all but impossible but the source that's cited is closed borders the contemporary assault on freedom of movement (laughs) a very neutral name yeah so i'm like i want to do more research on that because i don't know check your sources kids there may be some other reasons yeah (laughs) so anyway from my understanding anyway they had more ability to travel the world than did other than did other countries um yeah so they so they had a lot of benefits there uh but mainly because this socialist self-management you know this liberalizing of the economy from a planned economy uh, had the advantage of efficiency. Uh, This was because central planning back then was not very efficient because you didn't have uh, really good technology to be able to pull it off. Oh, that makes sense. Like a lot of the reason why it kind of works in things like the dispossessed was because they had a computer system that could coordinate massive amounts of data and send people places and figure out, who we need where. Yeah. And that's the reason that like the logistics and everything up until the point of like modern times where we have, um, you know, the labor shortage or the capital strike, however you want to see it, you know, up until then logistics was, was very easy to figure out on huge scales. Amazon and Walmart, all these huge multinational 
corporations could figure out, could basically plan economies the size of small countries. And people still say, oh, you can't do planned economy. Like, it seems like we can. I don't know. I think we can. If I can get a fucking, you know, charger in six hours from Amazon, I think we can do this. <laughs> yeah. So, but back then they could not. Like, just technologically, it, it was hard to do. Like, it was inefficient. It was good in the sense of, like, providing more for your people and doing a fairer system. But it was inefficient. Yeah. I mean, you're talking, like, telegraphs and well no we're in the 50s we're talking phone calls i guess you got phones but like other than that it's all paper it's all letters it's all it's all manual yeah do you think and i know this is like impossible to answer because it's like a not a shoulda woulda coulda but a like counterfactual yeah because i i was thinking like if if so much of that depends on technology do you think that it would have been better for a revolution to have popped off in those times or like, because like that's, that's where we get a lot of the myths of like, Oh, you can't do it. It's too complicated to do a planned economy and stuff like that. It's because like they were just materially limited by the technology of the time. So like those kinds of revolutions had popped off later or, you know, optimistically speaking, if one popped off, in the future would it have more of a chance of success just because we do have those kinds of abilities to coordinate with each other better. So there's pros and cons and there's a line past which you don't get any more revolutions if you haven't had one. So for me, at least in my theory of this is okay. So technology is increasing for you and your revolutionary movement, but it's also increasing for the bad guys, for the bad guys. And so there's a line past which they're going to have advantages that you can't surmount anymore. And then you just can't. I mean, you can still probably try, though. I mean, because people probably thought, like, there's no way that, you know, this little tiny country with few, very few resources can stand up to the, you know, overwhelming military and technological might of the United States Empire. But they did in Vietnam. That's true. But it would be very hard. I mean, like, think about the suffering they went. Like, it would make it way harder if things didn't pop off till, <laughs> till there were like automatic lasers. police robot lasers thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can't see because we turned off our video for bandwidth reasons. But oof, I'm grimacing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think maybe I don't know if if you didn't have the first like socialist revolution kick off till later, it'd be an interesting change. I, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like the, the gaps in technology become so much wider. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. It's almost easier to pull it off in the first place. The, okay. So the revolution part versus the economy part, because the revolution's way easier to do back then, given the, the economy is way harder. Yeah. I think because the technological disparity is not there between you and the military you're fighting back then. I think about now, right? Like, it's like, oh, they've got like more horses. <laughs> right. They got bigger they cannon. cannons. Yeah. <laughs> but here it's like, oh, no, they've got police dogs. And like, drones. Like and, mechanical yeah. dogs. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. Now that we're sad, please continue. <laughs> well, okay. So let's talk about some downsides to socialist self-management. Oh, no, no. We're going to be more sad. Well, the main downside to it was that it has this market mechanism. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. While it does increase efficiency, it also introduces some of the elements that we know and hate. Mm. Like competition, for one. 
So firms would get more money based on how well they did because they're operating in a market. These profits are distributed among the workers, but I mean, these firms still like, you know, they want to get that profit. So they want to compete with other firms in the market, you know, against each other, which means that there's going to be more exploitation. They're going to squeeze those workers more. Exactly. Yeah. Do more for less so we can undercut the competition, right? Even if it's the worker council that you elected, they're not going to be your worker council for long if they fail. It's like Mark said that, you know, capitalists aren't like evil. They're just following the inherent dictates of the system. That's the same in a a socialist, you know, market economy or whatever is you still have to face those immutable laws of, you know, of physics in terms of the economy. Like you have to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. That also applies on the international scale as enterprises, since it's more opened up to the West, they do compete with countries around the world too. So you kind of have to like lower your, you know, standards for that. If you're going to compete for international contracts, but also like foreign investments and stuff too. So if you're pitching to foreign investors, you have to be like, well, we're going to pay our guys less than the competition would. So it's You have to reduce your overhead for that reason. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's bad. That is bad. Uh, you also have concentration of wealth and power. Okay. Hey, way better than how I thought you're going to end that sentence, which was with camps. So <laughs> concentration camps. <laughs> I was like, <Wow>. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, so workers councils had to basically run their business, which is a hard job to do while you're also like working. Right. Mm, so they become like a bureaucracy kind of thing. Sort of. Yeah. Cause they have to delegate that power to managers, to factory directors, etc., And so, yeah, these guys kind of get into a privileged, bureaucratized position. Yeah, that's one thing I've always wondered about, like when we've done our episodes on like co-ops or just even talking about the idea of Soviets in the first place. It's like, how, yeah, how do you do your job and also like manage a company at the same, like that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yes. And so mostly they were like, well, we're going to get somebody to do it. So what that ends up leading to is that wages go up for, you know, quote unquote, skilled labor or managers uh, to make sure that they could, uh, you know, attract the best and the brightest because you've got a marketplace for labor. Uh, Management versus worker wage differentials go up a lot. So in the planned economy days, you're looking at like one to 3.5. Like that's the ratio of like worker to uh, management. That's still a lot. Okay, well, uh, in the socialist self-management phase, uh, it was 1 to 20. Okay, fuck, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Now, let's not be so so hasty here. Okay. If we're talking worker to CEO. Oh, God, I don't even want In the United States it. in 2020, mm. they had the number flipped, so I guess I'll flip it to this way. 1 to 351. Oh. <sighs> cool country yeah so love it um, here (laughs) so i mean i would love to have the one to 20 to be honest honestly yeah that's that's way better god and what bothers me about that and like being good at managing is different than being good at working like those are two different jobs and one of them isn't necessarily more important than the other it's just a different thing it's like if you're good at organizing if you're good at like people if you're good at admin work like those are different skills it doesn't mean you're better it just means you have a different kind of brain 
Yeah, yeah. Who was it that we read that was talking about this like differences of wages thing and was just like, this is bullshit. Like, don't do it. Was it Kropotkin? Yes, yes, that's right. Because yeah, he was talking about skilled labor. Like, oh, is it the guy in the mine that's more important or the guy who drops the cage or the boy Mm, or all this stuff? yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But there it is. So you have that. You have more regional divisions and inequality. Oh, because you're like more, you're less centralized. Mm-hmm. So those goods aren't getting necessarily out to the boonies or whatever. They're on their own a little more. Mm, sort of. You are more, <laughs> you are more um, federated, right? So you're more. Yeah, yeah. That's the word. Decentralized. This kind of stems from their historical development. The Northwest Republics were more economically modernized from pre-war times than were like the Southern Republics based on the countries they'd come from because uh, the the Northwest Republics were part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The Southern Republics were more of the Ottoman Empire. While the Northwest Republics, they kind of supported developing an export-based economy, the idea being like get foreign investment, make stuff, export it, profit. The Southern Republics had developed in an agrarian way, uh, and so they relied on state-led Uh, industries, extractive industries and heavy industries to kind of catch up, to build up their economic base in the first place, to catch up with the rest of the country. Uh, Okay. Okay. So what happens then when you decentralize? Does that mean they get less of those goods? Well, in in this decentralized system, the federal government still played a strong role in redistributing the taxes they got from the republic. So they would collect the taxes that the republics had collected and then divvy it up and redistribute it mostly redistributing Northwestern profits to the South to build it up. Um, So they were actually kind of alleviating the situation with that, but this kind of creates through that process, it kind of creates some regional tensions as the Northwest kind of like resents that. And that, that'll kind of simmer below the surface. That sucks. Uh, Yeah. The export based system, which Yugoslavia starts doing, more and more to kind of like rake in more foreign investment uh, leads to a ton of debt, which is fine at first because everyone's just like, you know, whatever, these companies are going to (laughs) turn profits and stuff. It'll be great. Um, But like, you know, doesn't always happen. And so that debt kind of accumulates as time goes on and will get worse. I guess I'm not understanding the difference between, I mean, I understand the basic difference between these like two types of economy, but I don't understand why shifting to a less planned one would make that redistribution more exacerbated. Is it just because like, well, now everyone's, now the North is making more money because like we did money again? (laughs) Yeah. Like if you do it centrally planned, you can... You can just say, well, the North, you know, the Northwestern republics are going to produce whatever they need to produce for their people. You can like kind of um, more behind the scenes redistribute things versus just say, hey, give me all that money that you just got done making. I'm giving it to someone else. Yeah. So you're, you're less relying on like taxes than you are like you're really just planning the, the whole economy. You're not saying, all right, do your thing, send me your money and then we'll redistribute it. Right. Yeah. OK. Got it. Got it. Got it. So it's more obvious, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe if, it probably feels a little more like, man, you just took all my money. <laughs> right, yeah. So that's overall the kind of like the pros and the cons of the socialist self-management system that Yugoslavia built. So what are our thoughts on that? My review is, I don't think I like it. <laughs> mm, okay. You were saying it's going to be good. 
I thought it was too. Their their gold <laughs> sounded really good. What was their goal again? Withering way of the state. Yeah, that sounds good. Free association of the producing class. That all tracks. I think for me, it's the market economy. I'm. I don't know if they were ready for this move. I guess mm, because yeah. it sounds like the southern states were still struggling to provide. And I bet honestly, I mean, I don't know enough about like the northern economy either. But if the southern was more agrarian, they could probably like feed their people. Okay, I'm assuming. Like if this wasn't market based, I'm wondering how that food distribution went. Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know why they had to bring the market into it mm, well i do know they got a bunch of food aid during years of famine at least so it didn't always go well but you would imagine that under normal years they'd be able to feed themselves but yeah i think that one kind of communist critique of this would be hey there's you know the withering of way of the state comes at a very specific time it's once you've developed your productive forces uh, you know either under the direction of a worker state or in communes, whatever, but it's like a specific thing. It's not just like, let's wake up one day and decide we're going to wither away the state because it might not work. It might be bad, you know? Well, I mean, but Kropotkin would say, just fucking do it. So yeah, but he wouldn't say fucking do markets. Well, I guess he wouldn't say there's no, there's no withering estate away from him because it would just be gone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But there, yeah, you're right though. There's, there's no markets. So how, how would you have done it instead? Like, what what would be the solution? Kropotkin style? Yeah. You would just uh, have everyone go start producing things, right? I mean, he was talking <laughs> about, like, use the city parks and start farming. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it was, it's almost like instead of, yeah, going decentralized in an anarchist stripe, yeah, they went decentralized in, like, a, a liberalism stripe. And it's like, guys, that was the wrong lane. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I, and that's that's one big criticism that people have on this is like when you <laughs> when you toy around with little parts of capitalism, it can get out of hand too quickly. Well, we'll kind of get into how it gets out of hand, but we can already see from my reading on this, what it came down to was like this did, as we mentioned, help them out a lot economically in the early days. Uh, but the problem is going to come later when the problems that it has... Um, started build up all right so it's it's almost like they helped themselves out but like sowed the seeds for things to fall apart later robbing peter to pay paul well yeah and i shouldn't say fall apart later so much as be pulled apart later but oh okay it, it creates this weakness that can be exploited later yeah yeah okay makes sense i mean i'm gonna go ahead and guess that there was already ethnic tension and now you have economic tension. Like mm, probably some regions are going to start like really not being friends with each other. Oh, uh, that, yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that certainly will play a big role. Uh, so some other highlights here in 1963, they introduced or kind of updated their constitution, made some changes here and there and kind of more institutionalized the whole like socialist self-management thing as like, we're definitely doing this. Uh, they also changed their name to the, Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. What were they before? Before they were the Federal People's Republic of Yugoslavia. Mm, the first one had peoples. I like that one more. But I guess it didn't have socialist. I don't know. <laughs> what if they just added socialist in the Federal <laughs> just keep Socialist People's Republic of Yugoslavia? That's fine. <laughs> it's pretty long, but no you one's know. ever going to say it. But <laughs> <laughs> they'll just be like. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> then they had the 1974 Constitution, uh, which had a couple of highlights. It was uh, one of the longest constitutions in the world. Was it a page turner? Oh, I'm sure it was. You know how much, <laughs> how riveting constitutions can be. Oh, that's my favorite. Sit down with a fresh stoot. That's what I call him. <laughs> it also proclaimed Tito president for life. Oh, wait. I don't like this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not a page turner. That's a put it down. Yeah. Try again. Second draft. They thought he was cool. So they made sure that he would always be cool. That's not good. <laughs> it, well, I don't think it was inheritable or anything. It was just that he specifically was cool enough to be president for life. Still not good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I don't think, yeah, I don't think in future socialist projects we should make anyone. No lifetime appointments. Yeah, I think that's a fair rule. <laughs> Next, in, on May 4th, 1980. So. We're jumping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really only covering the highlights here. Okay. Because this is like, I mean, otherwise we're going we're going year by year. Uh, next, on May 4th, 1980, only six years into his lifetime term, uh, Tito died. Good job, I guess. Now we don't have to worry about the lifetime thing too much. Did one of Stalin's guys get him, or did he just die? No, he just died. He was 87 years old. Okay, yeah. Uh, he... I guess Stalin was dead, so he won that one. Yes, for sure. He, he outlived him. <laughs> By a lot. And I mean, he had a a crazy life. We could do an episode just on Tito if we wanted to, because he's quite the character. So I didn't want to focus it just on him, you know, but he was a larger than life figure in Yugoslavian history. So when he dies, it's this humongous event. It's, it's like the most well-attended funeral for a long time. People on both sides of the Cold War are there. The country's in mourning. And after that, you have a collective presidency. Mm, that's weird. You have a president for each of the constituent republics, like working together to be the collective president. Hmm, okay, that's not terrible. Uh, yeah, the League of Communists starts to decentralize a lot, giving more power to the party branches of the constituent republics. Uh, but by and large, Yugoslavia kind of follows the trend it was on. It continues its uh, socialist self-management economy. It also continues to pile up foreign debt. Mm. This was already a problem while Tito was still around, but it like gets worse and fast. The Yugoslav uh, dinar was devalued. Their currency was devalued. And those regional divisions that we talked about before, and you were like, I wonder if those are going to get worse. <laughs> they get worse. They do get worse. The republics oh. kind of grow further and further apart. Obviously, this is going to become a problem. Yeah, sounds like it. Now, if you know anything about problems, you know <laughs> that the U.S. is great at making them worse. Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's like our number one thing. Dude, it is crazy if you read enough Wikipedia, how many historical, you know, ter you know, terrible things have a little section in there is like U.S. involvement. <laughs> <laughs> no one is free from it. It's just uh, like we're a cartoon villain. You know, you peel back the curtain and we're just cackling <laughs> away back there ready to, you know, destroy a place. <laughs> yeah, we see someone like drop their groceries and we're just like how can i make this worse you know like i'm gonna kick their apple down the street <laughs> yeah <laughs> the u.s is definitely going to involve themselves here so it's true that by the 1980s like we said yugoslavia had a ton of problems but 
I think there's an important question to think about. Would it have fallen apart or would it have fallen apart so quickly and so violently as it did without the malevolent help of the United States? Yeah, I mean, it would have fallen apart eventually. But yeah, is it going to it's probably going to get nasty, huh? I certainly doubt that it would have fallen apart so terribly. You know, they may have turned things around or figured something else out had, you know, altogether and still be a thing. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they could have made up more with the USSR. They could have helped them get on their feet. Something. Something, yeah. But anyway, uh, let's let's kind of get into the U.S. involvement section here um, and lead into the end of Yugoslavia. Uh, in 1983, friend of the show, President Ronald Reagan. Um, yeah, not my friend. I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his White House issued National Security Decision Directive 133. Great. I'd love to just take a peek at those 132 other ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure they're great. <laughs> This directive said that the U.S. would promote the privatization of the Yugoslav economy. Don't love that. (laughs) Makes sense, right? They're doing everything they can to topple socialist states wherever. Here's one that already looks like it's having some problems. So attack where your enemy is weakest, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, let's fuck them up. Well, they didn't say that. They said, said, let's encourage uh, private business, which translates to let's fuck them up. Not private business. Privatization. Of their economy. So they mean taking like those things that are state run and socially provided and privatize them. Okay. So yeah, let's fuck them up is what that translates to for real. Yeah. (laughs) So that's what they proceed to do. Uh, The U.S. sent advisors in in 1988 from the National Endowment for Democracy. Mm, Okay. Uh, Not the arts one. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, but the National Endowment for Democracy, they sound kind of nice. I don't trust it. Yeah, they were, um, they're a CIA sidekick (laughs) by their own admission. Wait, what? It's Um, like at the bottom of the website, the footer is like brought to you by. (laughs) uh, No, not so. so. (laughs) Blatantly. So overt, but like people who worked for them are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like things that we used to do covertly through the CIA, we can just do through these ngos now okay so this is just like the world bank but different yeah so what the, well they're gonna work hand in hand with them too oh, good, uh good. they they came in and, and started bribing politicians uh and journalists and trade union leaders uh to start taking this like pro west you know their pro privatization free market stance and stuff um and start advocating that i thought that communism is the most corrupt form of government. Are you telling me that capitalism can be corrupt too? <laughs> so, so, from some <laughs> estimations, yes, yeah, some people are saying that. Ugh, just, <laughs> it makes me so mad because that is the accusation. That is absolutely yeah. how it is painted. It's like, no, they have to be corrupt. It's like, by whom? Oomst <laughs> is doing the corrupting, may I ask? Yeah, and, and there can be, okay, yeah, there can be instances of corruption and even lots of them. But to say, you know, this is unique or whatever to communist or socialist governments, I don't know. that. <laughs> I mean, I heard a story on NPR talking about, like, Boris Johnson getting in trouble for going to a, a party or whatever and, like, sp- mm, yeah. like out of lockdown. And I'm we're laughing in the car because we're like, we had officials <laughs> gain money because of the pandemic. Like, they traded stocks knowingly with, like, advanced knowledge of the pandemic and like nothing is being done about that and this guy and this is the conservative party he's getting in trouble Mm -hmm. for that like hilarious 
cannot conceive of that idea. It's wild. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, Cool country. The National Endowment for Democracy was doing their thing. Uh, They also funded a group of free market economists called the G17. That's a cool name for some nerds. Yeah. (laughs) They had some connections with people you were mentioning, the IMF and the World Bank. Ew. uh, And the IMF gets in on the game, too, issuing loans to Yugoslavia during this time, uh, which, of course... Added to their huge debt. Well, at this late stage of the game, it comes with strings attached, you know, austerity programs and stuff. Mm. Uh, Classic, you know, World Bank IMF shit. Yeah, if you want to know more about their horse shit, look at our episode on Open Veins. I think part two is where we get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just like that, they... Say, okay, you know, you got to dismantle these social programs. You got to go through bankruptcy procedures and stuff. You have to privatize your and liquidate your state enterprises, all this stuff. Like, that's just so evil. <laughs> like, why, why should it? I mean, I, I understand it because, I mean, when you, at the end of the day, it's a fucking bank. And they're like, banks don't give you money unless they know you can pay them back and that you will make them money. It's very nasty. Yep. The situation in Yugoslavia obviously goes from bad to worse. The standard of living tanks, unemployment soars to 20% in 1990. And that's like average. So you also have, you know, the countryside way worse, youth way worse. Things are so bad that the, and so divided that the, the League of Communists divides up to dissolving into different parties for each republic and kind of some of them renaming themselves like Social Democratic or whatever, just kind of going their own ways because the republics are just about done with each other. Another friend of the show steps in because it's his turn in the spotlight. Oh, great. Friend of the show, President George Bush Sr. Mm, yeah, that guy. He comes in. Uh, it's under his administration that the u.s cuts off economic aid to yugoslavia and includes in this bill what i found interesting about this they included a provision that they would resume aid to democratic groups (gasps) i.e anti-communist groups um and any republic that broke away from yugoslavia what the fuck they basically just hand like put a knife in the middle of the table (laughs) Yeah, they said, we're going to... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm not saying you have to kill each other, but uh, whoever does gets this pile of money back here. (laughs) (laughs) It's wild. Wow. Literal, actual thing they did. By 1991, things are terrible. You've got 200% inflation. Woof. You have debt piling up still. The The Republic's like, they basically fall away from the central government, so... The central government's failing to make payments to that to you know those redistribution things they were doing, and that's like I can't tell if one causes the other or what, but the republic stopped giving their taxes mm-hmm. to it too, de facto falling apart. Total breakdown. And meanwhile, you have nationalists start rising to power in elections. You have multi-party elections because the League of Communists is no longer really a league anymore uh so now you have multi-party elections in all the republics uh and in croatia in bosnia herzegovina and in slovenia you have nationalist parties come to power promising to restore their people and specifically only their people we're not talking yugoslavs in general mm. uh, but 
just, you know, Croatians or just Bosnians or whoever to their rightful place. So that obviously inflames tensions as they start talking shit about the other, the people living in the other republics and blaming them and saying, you know, they're the reason that we have these problems and whatnot. Okay. So does this get violent? Oh, yeah. Okay. Slovenia and Croatia declare independence in 1991. So they just, they break away. Uh, Then Bosnia and Herzegovina follow suit in 1992. And what follows is something called the Yugoslav Wars. It's from 1991 to 2001. That's way longer than I thought it would be. Why? Why did I not know about that? It's a series of wars. So if you've heard of the Bosnian War, the Kosovo Ah. War, all of that is in this. It's not constant, constant warfare, I don't think, but it... On and off. Yeah, and it's super complicated. So I really don't want to get into too much of the details of it at all. It claims the lives of some 140,000 people. Oh, okay. And the country is brutally dismembered. Uh, You have various separatist or nationalist groups, and it's very, very complex. As Slovenia and Croatia break away, you have the government, like, trying to force them back in. So you have, like, wars of independence basically there. You also have the the Bosnian War we mentioned, the Kosovo War we mentioned. And, And then, like, the remnant of Yugoslavia... And, and the Yugoslav army, the Yugoslav people's army was the national army. But then like the people from the various republics who were serving in that, they leave because like their republic is declared independence. They go home. They go home. And then that army ends up being like a, like just Serbs, like just Serbian nationalists basically. And yeah, so it gets all, it gets really messy. I'm bad at, it, at military history or overall, or <laughs> I don't care to put in the work for it, I guess I should say. <laughs> But I do, I think it would be interesting to take a look at it in its own episode, like we should do with the fall of the Soviet Union. Like it's, it's a lot of cool stuff going on or cool as in like interesting, but terrible. Yeah. It's 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 horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. But that is, that's when Yugoslavia dies. That's the end. Wow. I, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm very frustrated because like. I feel like the fall of, you know, Soviet countries or communist countries is often used as an example of like why this won't work inherently, you know, like clearly we've tried it, we tried it and it failed. Mm -hmm. And it failed of its own volition. It failed just its internal (laughs) contradictions, which I will say, I mean, there was an element of internal contradictions weakening Yugoslavia. In terms of its market socialism, right? In terms of its, like, that self-management sort of thing it was doing. But that didn't have to be a thing. That didn't have... Well, yeah, you're right with the split and everything. Yeah, I don't think that would have happened if they had stayed the course of the Soviet Union. And honestly, I, I blame the Soviet Union for that, too. Like, it's not just their fault. Like, I don't think... I don't think that necessarily would have happened. I mean, maybe. Maybe it totally would have. And that was Tito's plan all along. It's like, no, I super want to try market socialism. Because didn't we... Okay, question. Was the U.S. involved at all in the split? Like, did they help poke that along? I don't know that they helped start it. I just know that they came in afterward and said, hey, yeah, you know. (laughs) Hey, this is great. Um, Okay. I guess, yeah, like, you're right. There were underlying issues of, like, you know, because you're so focused on a federated system, like, yeah, you're going to have some some tensions between regions and, like... But I I think they could have 
the market socialism, I think, was a big problem. The split with the USSR was a big problem. But like, we, yeah, we cannot forget that the U.S. fucking stuck their dick in it and, yeah. <laughs> and fucked it all up. Like they, they made it astronomically worse. Like they, they made it exponentially tumble into terrible times. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just. Again, I, I really hate that characterization of, of communism as inherently a, a bad idea. You know, like, that's fucking stupid. We tried it and it failed. And and because, one, I don't think capitalism is inherently a good idea. Like, you know, we got a lot of problems, clearly. Look what? at the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if someone is listening to this and didn't know that, man, I, I kind of don't want you to listen anymore. Like, just be free. <laughs> Go be free. Yeah. <laughs> Do something else. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Capitalism obviously causes so much suffering for people. And we're we're lucky enough not to feel that directly. You know, a lot of people go about and say, oh, well, you know, materially we have it pretty good and things are kind of nice. And, and I don't suffer that much. I'd like to make more at my job or I'd like to have more of a say. But why would we go through something so catastrophic as to overthrow, yeah, and do revolution and things like that? You know, because that would be a lot of suffering. Well, you know, like, you may not be suffering that much in the current system, but, like, millions of people are. It comes at a cost. Yeah. Like, that's my thing. Like, yeah, you you can sit around and say, like, oh, yeah, I'm very comfortable, or, like, yeah, from a evolutionary standpoint, like, humanity has come a long way, but it doesn't have to rely on a system that to me is way more inherently prone to suffering than communism. Like it just doesn't have as bad of a rap because I mean, it's profitable (laughs) and people like that. And, you know, people put a lot of time and energy into propping it up. I mean, see any Marvel movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That shit is sponsored by like the air force, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think Mrs. Marvel was, like, completely sponsored by the Air Force, or, like, a big part of it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. The Defense Department special. I guess it's Ms. Marvel. I don't think she's married. <laughs> Mrs. I, Marvel. I didn't know. I, I was just going to take your word for it. I, I seen don't any know. Of when I, it's, you know, when I say I'm in comics, people assume a lot of things about me. <laughs> and it's not those kinds of comics. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Only sad comics for me. <laughs> And to say, well, you know, capitalism is not great, but it's the only alternative or it's, it's, it's the only thing we can do. It's easy for us to overlook the fact that it is lubricated by blood. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is really it. In the imperial countries, that's, that's something that we can kind of turn our faces away from. The worst of it that we have to see is like people who are made impoverished by it here. And people do suffer from it here. But in terms of just like like the hyper exploitation uh that Lenin talks about in in imperialism or whatever is that that's that's some that's someplace else you know yeah yeah that's out of sight out of mind really like there's no way we can avoid you know benefiting from that the only thing we can do you know cuz i mean like you can be like oh i'll be a self righteous like consumerist <laughs> sort of person shopper. yeah 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 and like that might assuage your conscience but that does nothing to like really change the situation the only thing you can do to change that situation is to try to free those people that's a tall order 
Because then the IMF's going to come sniffing around. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if someone could take care of the IMF for us. That'd be great. That They would just replace it with another one. Don't do that. I don't know. <laughs> they would. <laughs> they have to change the power structure. I'm still, I guess, kind of confused by their decision to even dabble in the market economy. Like, it, to me, I'm almost like wondering, like, which came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. Like, was it? because they split they're like well fuck we're on our own we gotta do our own thing or was it like they were already starting to be interested in this or something and then the soviet union was like actually bye we don't like that like or even you know well we split and the u.s is over here asking us to change up some shit like i I could see any of those factors influencing each other i guess but i don't know maybe my timeline is totally off here (laughs) no i think there are always different elements in their party, right? So so you do have, like, people who have these reformist ideas. You have people who are more hardline. The split, I think, is what causes it. Before the split, and even as the split is occurring, Yugoslavia is saying, we are just as Marxist-Leninist as the Soviet Union is. Like, if not... More so, we are more genuine than that. You know, like they're saying, we are orthodox. We are doing the right thing. Check out our five-year plans, right? But within the party, you do have people who are already thinking, maybe we should introduce some reforms. You know, like you do have that, but they're not the ones calling the shots, right? Because it's it's as we see in any of these histories, like oh, then all the cool guys, but then all the cool guys got purged. All the cool guys are super super pro. Stalin Soviet Union or or whatever, you know, cool guys, we should say, but whatever, like the people who are saying like, you know, planned economy are super pro Stalin. And so Stalinism, as as they start calling the Stalinists or whatever, the Orthodox Marxist Leninist planned economy people that gets tied up with support for Stalin and get perched. Okay, that makes more sense now. Now I'm seeing the connection. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was struggling. I was like, why would they just be like, well, let's try money again? <laughs> like, no, we tried that. It's bad. Okay, that makes more sense to me now. Okay, yeah. So that's that's kind of the driver of it. It's uh, the elements were already there, but that's what like pushes them in that direction. Yeah, because again, I go back to their little mission statement, which I was so fond of. I was like, yeah, decentralize. Yeah, that sounds great. But then it's like, oh, no, not like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Put it back. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think they they had some good ideas. Bad execution. Well, yeah, I don't know. The the entire market mechanism, I'm not a big fan. But then, then again, it was better than what Western Europe was doing. I mean, it's not capitalism, right? It was a form of social democracy or whatever. But it's not enough, I guess. Social democracy, at the end of the day, right, relies on... Yeah, I mean, if you're taking IMF money, you're taking blood money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you think about even the countries we hail as socialist these days, like, you know, your, your Norwegian countries, like, mm-hmm. that have a lot of social services, like, those come from blood money, too. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're not totally innocent. Yeah. Like, they're definitely buying and selling some bullshit. Yeah. And I mean, even if, you know, even you're ethically grown, whatever, I mean, they do business with a bank, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For real. Like somebody's bleeding somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) That's the subtitle of the podcast. Somebody's bleeding somewhere. (laughs) Time to feel bad about it forever. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, 
You don't have to feel bad about it per se. Just stay angry. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let it keep you angry for as much time as you can handle for that though. Like don't stress yourself out too much. Take a break. Keep the fire in your heart, but sometimes it can be a little candle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I think that's it. I, I don't have any more questions. I mean, Technically, I will say the market economy thing is is a strike. If we're still counting strikes from last week, that would be four strikes. Four strikes for doing a market economy? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's the four. Well, no, no, I'm saying that in addition yeah, to my yeah. three oh. strikes from last week. <laughs> Add four more strikes for that. No, really no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean I had three last week. I'm adding one for the market economy. Okay. Yeah, that's about it. The other ones I can't blame them for. Like, I can't blame them for taking money when you need money, like... I I understand it comes with strings and like, what else are you going to fucking do? Like, I get it. That's the thing with the whole, with the split, with the turn to the U.S. for aid. And to me, even for those reforms, like they, it's possible that they thought that they were doing the best in their situation. And it's possible that that was the best they could do in their situation. It just didn't turn out well, you know, and. It may be that they were mistaken, that they should have, you know, stuck with the planned economy thing, but. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks for teaching me. Anytime. (laughs) Next week, we're taking a teaching break because we're both tired. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm too busy with my book. You, You were sick. Let's just, let's take it easy. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll fill in this next week with a communist movie night hell yeah we're gonna watch that movie everyone's been tweeting at us about which is don't look up all right yeah the comet headed toward earth one leo's got a crazy goatee it looks really bad (laughs) (laughs) the most important part of my review is already revealed (laughs) i think it's on netflix right yeah go watch it on netflix then and we'll talk about it next time. If you if you hate our movie series, sorry. <laughs> we'll be back later with yeah. info. Like, Damn it, it's another movie. <laughs> sorry. It'll be fine. <laughs> Go back to the backlog review. I, I did that recently because I'm like, I forgot some shit. So. <laughs> if yeah. you too have a Swiss cheese brain, go back and review previous episodes. Yeah, we won't Maybe make we'll it a, a habit. We're not going to like make it more often or something because we're getting lazier. But if we do start that, now you're going to think, oh, they're doing it more often. They're getting lazy, you know? If we <laughs> yeah, do that we did kind of reveal. Yeah. We did kind of reveal our secret of when we're tired, we watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, go watch Sorry, it y'all. and then listen to us. Okay, cool. See you then. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to 
are notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up and coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.